Uh, if you have your Bible, let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8. So we started looking at uh, this passage last week. Um, it deals with uh, Solomon's prayer uh, on the occasion of the completion of the temple. Um, so prior to this time, uh, there was no permanent uh, structure for the worship of the Lord. Of course, uh, when the nation of Israel came out of Egypt, Moses had received instruction for the construction of a tabernacle, a tent, and uh, that's where the holy place was and the, the various pieces of furniture that the Lord had given Moses instruction for. And, of course, it traveled with the nation as they were making their way uh, um, across the desert into the promised land. And then for several hundred years, uh, through the whole period of the judges and through uh, the first two kings, Saul and David, uh, there was no permanent structure. And David had a desire uh, to build a temple, um, but the Lord uh, said no, um, but I'll allow your son to do it. And so Solomon, David's son, is the one who uh, completed this temple. And uh, the prayer recorded for us here in um, 1 Kings 8 was on the occasion of the dedication of that building. And uh, many, many offerings, uh, burnt offerings. In fact, I think it's in uh, the parallel passage in Col uh, Chronicles that says that they consecrated the, the pavement in the courtyard there uh, because the altar wasn't big enough uh, to contain all of the the burnt offerings and sacrifices. So uh, tremendous. This was at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, um, and an eight-day feast uh, that the nation would have been gathered. And so it was on that occasion that this uh, dedication took place. And um, as part of this, um, Solomon uh, prays this prayer. So this is publicly uh, there, Chronicles also tells us that there was a stand that he built, just a temporary sort of scaffolding platform uh, in the courtyard there by the altar. And uh, on that stand, he was uh, kneeling and raised his hands to pray uh, this prayer in the hearing of the people. And uh, we noted um, the... Uh, just the emphasis on prayer uh, that he makes um, in his prayer. So he's praying, but the, really the whole prayer is about prayer and asking the Lord to hear prayer. And we're going to look at some more of that in just a minute. But uh, we did make the connection with uh, the statement that Jesus made and uh, he was quoting from the prophet Isaiah that the Lord's house would be called a house of prayer among all the nations. And uh, so it's very interesting that of all of the ways that that house would rightly be known and identified, uh, this is the way that the Lord uh, especially wanted it known 
and identified as a house of prayer. And of course, prayer being something that we as creature uh, offer to creator. Uh, So it's our speaking to our God, the one who has made us, the one on whom we are dependent for everything, really. And uh, so it's anticipating that we would uh, see the need for and actually participate in uh, this activity of coming before the Lord and speaking to him. Solomon anticipates, even as he prays uh, for the Lord to hear, he anticipates that not all of the prayer would be made in that actual building. Uh, So he talks, and we'll see about if the people are scattered and they yet would pray and uh, that the Lord would in fact hear. Um, So he's, he's not assuming that you have to be physically present there to pray and that the Lord would hear. In fact, he's asking the Lord uh, to, to hear regardless of where the prayer is being made. But I do want us to, to survey. Uh, we won't um, comment exhaustively on the prayer uh, that he makes here, but I do want us to survey it and uh, I will point out uh, a number of things as we do. So we're in 1 Kings chapter 8. And uh, the prayer itself uh, starts in verse 23. And Solomon said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in heaven above or on earth beneath who keepest covenant and mercy with thy servants that walk before thee with all their heart, who hast kept with thy servant David, my father, that thou promised him. Thou spakest also with thy mouth and hast fulfilled it with thine hand as it is this day. And of course, what he's referring to there is that David would have a son to sit on his throne and that uh, that son would build this house. Therefore, now, Lord God of Israel, keep with thy servant David, my father, that thou promised him, saying, There shall not fail thee a man in my sight to sit on the throne of Israel so that thy children take heed to their way, that they walk before me as thou hast walked before me. And now, O God of Israel, let thy word, I pray thee, be verified, which thou spakest unto thy servant David my father. Okay, so that's sort of the main introduction to the prayer where he's identifying God in his uniqueness, but also in his faithfulness to his promises. And that then will uh, serve as the backdrop for the rest of what he prays. He acknowledges verse 27, but will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, the heaven and the heavens of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I have builded. Yet, have thou respect unto the prayer of thy servant And to his supplication, O Lord my God, to hearken unto the cry and to the prayer which thy servant prays before thee today, that thine eyes may be open toward this house night and day, even toward the place of which thou hast said, My name shall be there, that thou mayest hearken unto the prayer which thy servant shall make toward this place. 
and hearken thou to the supplication of thy servant and of thy people Israel, when they shall pray toward this place, and hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place, and when thou hearest, forgive. Right? So um, we are going to carry on, but just to pause here for a moment. So, so again, clearly what he's asking for is that the Lord would day and night, so there'd not be a time when the Lord would not be watching, his eyes would be open to that place, and listening, right? So you can see uh, that he mentions the, the hearkening in verse 29, that thou mayest hearken unto the prayer. Verse 30, hearken thou to the supplication. Uh, and then later in the verse, hear thou in heaven, right? Uh, so just really earnestly beseeching the Lord to hear. But then the other thing that I want to bring your attention to, because this is also going to surface repeatedly, is that last phrase of verse 30, and when you hear, forgive. Okay, so remember, this place, which we know from other scripture, would be called a house of prayer of all nations, is not a place that can contain God, right? The heavens of heavens can't contain him. Right? So in other words, we are not to make the mistake to think that God is located only there. Obviously, if the heavens can't contain him, then there's nowhere that he isn't. Right? And it, that is also to be a, an encouragement in our praying. Right? So it doesn't matter where we are, we can pray. Right? And so he's reminding us of that. Uh, but the other thing that is uh, going to come to the fore here is this idea of when you hear, forgive. So let's see how he develops that. Verse 31. If any man trespass against his neighbor. Okay, so here is one human being sinning against another human being. And an oath be laid upon him to cause him to swear, and the oath come before thine altar in this house. Then hear thou in heaven, and do, and judge thy servants, condemning the wicked to bring his way upon his head, and justifying the righteous to give him according to his righteousness. Right. So he's asking the Lord to be an accurate and truthful judge in the dealings man with man and to justify uh, the righteous and to bring uh, the consequence on the wicked of their deeds. Verse 33. When thy people Israel be smitten down before the enemy because they have sinned against thee. Okay, so he's dealt with sin man to man but now he's talking about sin against the Lord. Now, obviously, when we sin against another human being, as David testifies in Psalm 51, his great <coughs> penitential prayer, he sinned against Bathsheba in committing adultery with her. He sinned against Uriah in murdering him. He sinned against his people over whom he was the king and should have been their leader in righteousness. But David in that prayer says, against thee, Lord, and thee only have I sinned. 
and done this evil in your sight. And so it is right for us to recognize sin against one another, but ultimately any sin is also sin against the Lord, right? And of course, there are some sins that we can sin that are only sins against the Lord. Uh, so that obviously is considered as well. So verse 33, they're smitten down because they have sinned against thee. And they shall turn again to thee and confess thy name and pray and make supplication unto thee in this house. Then hear thou in heaven and forgive the sin of thy people Israel and bring them again unto the land which thou gavest unto their fathers. Next setting. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain, because they have sinned against thee. If they pray toward this place and confess thy name and turn from their sin, when thou afflictest them, then hear thou in heaven and forgive the sin of thy servants and of thy people Israel, that thou teach them the good way wherein they should walk and give rain upon thy land, which thou hast given unto thy people for an inheritance." Right? And so in both cases here, we've got the idea of them turning and praying to the Lord. So there's repentance there and that prayer, uh, confession to the Lord. And he's asking the Lord to hear. In verse 36, he's also asking the Lord to teach them the good way, right? Uh, which is very important as well. Verse 37, if there be in the land famine, if there be pestilence, blasting, mildew, locust, or if there be a caterpillar, if their enemy besiege them in the land of their cities, whatsoever plague, whatsoever sickness there be, what prayer and supplication soever be made by any man or by all thy people Israel, which shall know every man the plague of his own heart. Okay, that's an interesting way of referring to sin and spread forth his hands toward this house then hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place and forgive and do and give to every man according to his ways whose heart thou knowest for thou even thou only knowest the hearts of all the children of men right so again, very interesting. Uh, another situation, and in, in in I think all of these, many of these situations, there there are these consequences that they are experiencing, right? Whether it's a, a battle with an enemy, or famine, or the pestilences, or these other uh, calamities, seeing it. Uh, the implication is that these would be the judgment of the Lord against their sin. But then there's this turning, right? And uh, this crying out to the Lord. And verse 38 seems to imply that uh, it could be both on a national level or on a personal level. And uh, verse 39, of course, is a reminder that the Lord and him only, or he only, uh, knows the hearts of all the children of men. Right? Uh, so there is nothing in our heart 
that is hidden from the Lord. There's lots in our heart that is hidden from other people. But there's nothing that is hidden from the Lord. Right? And so it's in, it's in that kind of a context. This God who isn't in one little location. This God who fills the heavens. Right? And uh, yet is merciful to people. Uh, and is uh, willing to open his eyes and open his ears and hear the repentant prayer of uh, people that would turn to him. Right? And so very much uh, he's encouraging, uh, he's asking the Lord to hear. And even in his asking, he's encouraging us to pray so that the Lord would hear. Um, then uh, verse 40 that they may fear thee all the days that they live in the land which thou gavest unto our fathers. Moreover, concerning a stranger that is not of your people Israel. So here's the nations, here's the Gentiles. Notice what he says. But they come out of a far country for thy name's sake. For they shall hear of thy great name and of thy strong hand and of thy stretched out arm when they shall come and pray toward this house. Hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place and do according to all that the stranger calls to thee for that all the people of the earth may know thy name to fear thee as do thy people Israel and that they may know that this house which I have builded is called by thy name. If thy people go out to battle against their enemy, whithersoever thou shalt send them, and shall pray unto the Lord toward this city which thou hast chosen, and toward the house that I have built for thy name, then hear thou in heaven their prayer and their supplication, and maintain their cause. If they sin against thee, for there is no man that sins not, and thou be angry with them and deliver them to the enemy so that they carry them away captives unto the land of the enemy, far or near. Yet if they shall bethink themselves in the land whither they were carried captives and repent and make supplication unto thee in the land of them that carried them captives, saying, We have sinned and we have done perversely, we have committed wickedness, and so return unto thee with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies which led them away captives and pray unto thee toward their land which thou gavest unto their fathers, the city which thou hast chosen and the house which I have built for thy name. Then hear thou their prayer and their supplication in heaven thy dwelling place and maintain their cause and forgive thy people that have sinned against thee and all their transgressions, wherein they have transgressed against thee and give them compassion before them who carried them captive, that they may have compassion on them. For they be thy people and thine inheritance, which thou broughtest forth out of Egypt from the midst of the furnace of iron, that thine eyes may be open unto the supplication of thy servant and unto the supplication of thy people Israel, to hearken unto them in all that they call for unto thee. For thou didst separate them from among all the people of the earth to be thine inheritance, as thou spakest by the hand of Moses thy servant when thou broughtest our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. 
right? And that's the end of the record here in First Kings, right? So again, what you see is this this repeated reminder, really before the Lord, asking Him to hear various circumstances, various situations. One quite common, though not in every circumstance, is this issue of our sin, right? And of course, there's that reminder in verse, uh, where did it go? Um, 46, that there is no man that sins not. And so it's so interesting that on the dedication of this house that was to be known as a house of prayer, there is this emphasis on one of the chief reasons that we should pray to acknowledge our sin and to seek forgiveness. Right? And so sin then is not something that we should allow to keep us from God. Right? But in fact, sin should be one of the things that would move us to him. Right? Especially if we're counted among his people. Right? Uh, obviously the nation of Israel, and he makes emphasis of that, right? He reminds them of, you know, Moses coming out of the land and all of that. And, you know, here they are, and it's your people, and it's your inheritance, and you gave them this land, right? So that he's, he's especially thinking of those that were identified in the Old Testament as the Lord's people. But we in the New Testament are not physical, most of us are not physical descendants of Abraham, but we nonetheless are counted as the Lord's people, right? And we are encouraged as much as they to come to the Lord and acknowledge our sin, right? Um, we have some famous passages. Keep uh, your finger in First Kings 8. Um, but if we would turn to First John... Chapter 1. And this picks up on that point that Solomon made in verse 46 when he says, verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Right? And again, the context, if you go back to uh, the earlier part of this chapter, John is writing to believers. Right? And he's writing to encourage our fellowship with the Father and with his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, so here, right, he's reminding us in the preceding verses, uh, verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. 
Right? But there's no reason for us to continue to walk in darkness. Now, we will from time to time just because we have an old nature still. Right? But the whole emphasis of this passage is don't stay in the darkness. Right? If you're a true child of God, right? yes, we all still sin, but let's not stay there. Right? And that's the point that Solomon is making. Here are your people. And because of their sin, you've chastened them with this means or that means. Well, what's the Lord's point even in bringing the chastening? It's that they would turn, right? And that they would confess and repent and so on. The statement in verse 9 here in 1 John, uh, the confession is a confession to the Lord. Because the next statement, he is faithful and just to forgive us, right? So clearly, it's implying a confession of that sin to the Lord. And again, I mentioned Psalm 51. Uh, We have much example in the Psalms. There are many penitential Psalms that give us illustration of, of the kind of spirit that we rightly bring into the presence of the Lord in prayer as we face our own sin and acknowledge it, right? And so the Lord is very, very much encouraging us uh, to to do that. Uh, if you s- turn back a few pages to Hebrews chapter 4, the writer to the Hebrews picks up on another subject that Solomon touched on, and that is the Lord's knowing of all of our hearts. And so here in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in God's sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Right? All right. So faced with that reality, I mean, think of your heart. Right? Think of our capacity to sin. Right? I mean, though we know better and though, you know, it... It grieves us, yet there we are again. And the Lord knows. But the scripture does not want that to keep us from him. Keep reading. Seeing then that we have a great high priest and an intercessor, a mediator, a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are. His difference? No sin. Right? And so here we have this reminder that we have this great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who himself was our Offering for sin. Right? Why is he doing all of that? That our sin might be dealt with. 
and that we might have, verse 16, boldness, confidence to come unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need, right? And Solomon is saying, you know, Lord, when they turn and they pray, then hear from heaven. So there's God sitting on his throne. And who's at his right hand? The one who shed his blood for us. Right? The one who died that we might live. The one who died that we might be forgiven. The one who has risen and ever lives to make intercession for us. Right? So all of this to encourage us to pray. Right? So far be it from us that we would let our own sin and we will sin. There's not anyone that doesn't sin. Far be it from us that we would let our own sin keep us from praying. Right? The reminder of our sin ought to encourage us to pray because there is a great God who hears from heaven and who forgives. Right? And all on the basis of that great work of his son. If you would turn to first second chronicles chapter 7. Here is the parallel passage to first kings chapter 8. Okay, so it records the prayer and you can compare the two passages and it's almost identical, not exactly. There's some variation in the wording but almost identical. And uh, what I wanted to draw your attention to is uh, how the Lord responds. Okay, First uh, Kings does not record this, um, but this passage does. Um, whoops, am I in chapter seven? Maybe in the wrong. Ah, chapter six. Excuse me, chapter 6. First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, uh, chapter 6. Okay, so here is uh, the conclusion of his prayer um, in the end of chapter 6, uh, verse 40. Now, my God, let I beseech thee, thine eyes be open, and let thine ears be attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. Now, therefore, arise, O Lord God, Unto thy resting place, thou and the ark of thy strength. Let thy priests, O Lord, be clothed with salvation. Let thy saints rejoice in goodness. O Lord God, turn not away the face of thine anointed and remember the mercies of David thy servant. Let's pause for just a minute. Right? That phrase, thine anointed, is a phrase that refers to the king. And in that immediate setting and context, that would refer to Solomon because he was the Lord's anointed. But it also refers to David's greater son, the Messiah, right? Turn not away the face of your Messiah. Where is the face of his Messiah? It's seated right at his right hand. Turn not away that one who's interceding for us. Very, very interesting. Now notice chapter 7. Now, when Solomon had made an end of praying... 
The fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good and his mercy endures forever. And folks, that's exactly why we should pray, right? And so, I mean, did the Lord demonstrate that he was in agreement with Solomon's prayer? Yeah, I think he did, right? That fire from heaven, his glory there in that place, right? And so what a great encouragement to us. He is good and his mercy endures forever. And so hate our sin, though we rightly should, right? When it's brought to our attention, Let us not let it keep us from the presence of our God. Let's come humbly. Let's come again with the same spirit that is demonstrated in uh, the penitential Psalms with a broken and a contrite spirit. Let's acknowledge our sin before the Lord and he will forgive. That's his promise. And I don't know about you, but I am so glad that that is the way God is. Right. This is true. This is the way God is. He has revealed himself this way on the pages of scripture. And we are the eternal beneficiaries of it. Right. And one day, we're going to be right there in his presence. And sin will be gone. Right. What a wonderful, wonderful day awaits us. And it's because he's good. And because he is merciful. Uh, to sinners like me and like you.